welcome back to Burgundy Blogcast on this Sunday night, November 18th, 2018. Today was the primary game day for week 11 of the 2018 season. The Redskins fell at home 23-21 to the Houston Texans. And Alex Smith's right leg snapped in half under the weight of J.J. Watt. Which of course will have enormous but unpredictable implications for the Redskins season. And also possibly some big ones for Alex Smith's career and the near to medium term future for the Redskins franchise. Meanwhile, the Redskins remain in first place in the NFC East, but now only by a game after Dallas won today. And of course, only four days from today, the Redskins will be playing in Dallas, which will be an opportunity for the Cowboys to actually gain a share of the lead. So yeah, when it comes to the Redskins right now, I'd say we got a couple of things to talk about. Burgundy Blogcast is part of the Blue Wire network of local sports pods, which you can find on bluewirepods.com. And this episode is brought to you by the online sports betting website, mybookie.ag. All right, that game was totally bonkers, so there is a lot to unpack today. First of all, the Redskins came in at 6-3, and three, hosting the Texans, who were blazing hot on a six-game winning streak, and they were three-point underdogs at home in this matchup of two first-place teams. The Redskins pretty much only play close games, except for the occasional blowout, and the line was tight, and indeed, this one, of course, was very close. I felt that the Redskins did not match up particularly well with the Texans, mainly because they typically struggle to contain mobile quarterbacks, and because the matchup meant that their makeshift offensive line would be going up against an incredibly strong front seven, or at least one with two elite playmakers and a third really good pass rusher. So if you had told me this morning that the Redskins were going to lose by two, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right, although who could have possibly predicted all the different things that would have transpired on the, on the route to getting them there. Now, I kind of had this feeling coming into today based on what I perceive to be recent incremental improvements in the offense that Alex Smith was sort of due for and also actually just poised and in position for a really good game today. I predicted last week on the pod that he would throw for 250 and two touchdowns. That clearly didn't happen. And I'm certainly not going to act like he was on pace for it before he got hurt. And today, about an hour before kick, I tweeted that my gut was telling me that he was in for a, quote, really good game, end quote. So I was clearly wrong. He didn't even make it three full quarters, and he was hardly lights out before his ticket got punched. But he had his moments, which I will touch on. Ultimately, of course, Colt McCoy got his first action in years. The Redskins offense immediately started scoring, and they not only made it a game, but came back, took a lead, lost the lead, had, I think, in those closing minutes, a really good chance, actually, to steal a victory, but couldn't quite pull it off in the end. It was an exciting game full of emotional highs and lows. A sickening, absolutely nauseating result for Alex Smith, who I believe is a really good guy, and who I do still think was just starting to put it together. And now I think really the whole rest of the season, these final six games for the Redskins and for the rest of the division are just incredibly hard to predict and therefore very interesting. I think I'm first going to recap by running through my literally written, handwritten, scribbled down notes quarter by quarter. First of all, one very important thing that I noticed prior to kickoff, other than those throwback uniforms, which we're going to come back to, is that Jay Gruden has been growing his hair out a little bit, and he's got some pretty sweet frat wings going on right now, which I assume can only help the Redskins going forward if he's smart enough to continue to rock those. So Jay, if you're listening, I'm feeling you on those wings. Don't cut them. Things that jumped out to me on the first possession, uh, Houston had a pretty good drive. They converted on a third and one, which I worried would set the tone for another day of ineptitude on the part of the Redskins defense on third down. Although ultimately, the Texans were only four of 11 on third, which isn't that bad. 
that first one was a nice, pretty long gain by um, Lamar Miller, who averaged over four yards per carry today for a total of 86. Also interesting on that drive was the fact that Josh Norman was basically shadowing DeAndre Hopkins, which I think continued for much or even most of the day after that. The drive ended on a Texans field goal after Norman had good coverage on Hopkins in the corner of the end zone. When the Redskins got the ball back, they had a possession that I think is an example of one where Alex Smith is going to look crappy in the record book, but I was actually quite pleased with what he was doing. In fact, he had three really nice uh, intermediate depth passes on this drive, only one of which resulted in positive yardage. The first one was a what I thought was a pretty good ball in real time, maybe a few inches high, but he had Michael Floyd um, off to the right on the sideline, and Floyd almost made a nice catch for a big gain, but of course uh, the ball was jarred loose as he came to the ground. To me, Alex put that ball in a good spot. Then right after that, in fact, possibly the next play, uh, next play, he came back to Floyd. I think it was a third and five, maybe six, for like 18 yards over the middle of the field. And that ball was just about perfect. Then after a couple of Adrian Peterson runs on another third and intermediate, Alex threw a ball like I think at least 20 yards in the air to Vernon Davis over the middle. And the safety immediately jarred that ball loose after Vernon could just barely get like one step down. So Dressway had to punt and the Redskins are still down three nothing at this point. But I was kind of feeling like the offense was actually clicking a little bit. Or at least it should have been if a couple of guys had held on to balls that were, you know, in both hands. Then the Texans got the ball back and went like 70 yards in six plays, including several chunk passes and runs. And then DeAndre Hopkins scored on a nice route that perfectly beat the Redskins zone coverage and a pass that just got a few inches past Norman's outstretched hands. So it was 10-0 Texans. The Redskins got the ball back with a few minutes left in the quarter. They put together a long drive of their own, I think 75 yards, including a 20-something yard play to Jordan Reed, and then like a 15-yarder to Maurice Harris. And then my favorite play of the drive right before the quarter ended was Trey Quinn coming from left to right across the middle of the field, made a sick diving 15-yard reception to get the Redskins down inside the 10. Setting up... Two nice plays by the Redskins offense on the first two plays of the second quarter. The first one being a nicely executed zone read run by Alex Smith for a first down. And then a nifty three-yard touchdown run by Adrian Peterson, who in this game looked to my eye quite a bit more nimble and faster than he did last week. When you may recall, I started to express a little bit of concern that perhaps he was starting to decline. Now, he only averaged 3.2 yards a carry today on 16 carries. But when he had room to run, I thought he looked... Pretty shifty and pretty quick. So that, of course, bodes well for the team going forward, especially with QB2 coming in. So the Redskins were down 10-7 at that point, but a lot of other interesting things happened in the second quarter. First, Ryan Kerrigan had a really nice sack that caused a fumble that the Redskins did not recover, but on the next play, pressure by Preston Smith forced Deshaun Watson to throw a ball that was tipped by Josh Harvey Clemens and intercepted by Mason Foster. The Redskins took over in Houston territory, but totally squandered that awesome opportunity on a three and out after Vernon Davis had just a ridiculous drop on a beautiful deep pass by Alex. And so, like, halfway through the second quarter here, I'm looking at the Redskins down three, and Alex Smith's stat line looks terrible, but I think he's already at this point made some nice throws and some nice plays with his legs. He's had three nice passes for significant gains just dropped or barely mishandled. And my prediction of a big game is like already kind of starting to look off. But I was definitely happy or satisfied that that they were continuing to demonstrate a little bit of progress. After Jay wasted another timeout on a third down offensive miscommunication, Tress Way 
dropped another one of his signature self-downing punts inside the five-yard line. I mean, the guy is like so good now that half of these things don't even need to be touched by the coverage team. He just does it himself. It's like a yo-yo. The Texans ended up punting on that position, during which, by the way, they lost their final extra offensive linemen, and it was noted on the broadcast that they were down to only five dressed offensive linemen in the game. Obviously, I was hoping that would spell catastrophe for them later on, but they, they for their part, weathered that storm, you know, pretty effectively, I guess, for the, re- the remainder. So then the Redskins ha- had another really interesting drive with several notable things, including one pass on Alex's part that I can see was, was quite bad. He just kind of airmailed Jordan Reed open over the middle, and it was way, way over his head. Adrian Peterson had a nice um, third down conversion on a third and one where he really showed a, a good burst. He fumbled, but the Redskins were lucky to recover. Alex Smith had a nice first down run, and also I thought it was cool that he, he got up really chatting at uh, the guy that tried to tackle him. I don't remember who, some DB, possibly Joseph. You could see pretty clearly in slow motion that the guy tried to tackle Alex Smith by basically taking an arm bar to his face. But luckily, Alex's slide kind of went under the guy's arm. So he, he popped up, and, and they were jawing at each other. And I, I just, no, I'm sorry, I'm kind of a sucker for that. I love seeing my quarterback talking smack. Trey Quinn had another nice first down catch. And then, boom, disaster, devastation. The play that really, really tremendously hurt the Redskins' momentum and uh, chances to win the game, frankly. Obviously, this is the pick six at the goal line that was returned 101 yards for a touchdown. So there was discussion on the broadcast, and I think rightfully, as to whether this was truly on Alex or like a miscommunication in the route. And it certainly did seem like he and Jordan Reed were not on the same page as to which way Reed was going to cut when he got to the goal line. I do not feel comfortable assigning 100% of the blame to either one of them, but it needs to be said that there is hardly any play in football that is that is harder to absorb or worse for the psyche or just more injurious to a team's chances of winning a game than a pick six at the goal line. That play was also further proof that, you know, sometimes you see a quarterback and one of his receivers displaying excellent so-called chemistry. And it tends to jump out. You know, Roethlisberger has it with Antonio Brown. Positive, beneficial chemistry just kind of stands out, stands alone. I think it's rare that, you know, you have occasion to identify a quarterback and a receiver who have like negative anti-chemistry. I mean, that's that's just not really a common thing. It's kind of like you either do or you don't. But I'll tell you what, Alex Smith and Jordan Reed this season, they did not have chemistry. They had like sociology or sociopathy, actually. Those two dudes just were never, ever on the same page, or at least not nearly enough for this offense to be effective consistently while Alex was at the helm. It was a big, big bugaboo for the team and for that unit. And that play was like a microcosm of their failure to connect this year. So the Redskins are now down 17-7. They get the ball back, take over pretty deep in their own territory. And of course, a couple plays later, Alex throws really his worst pass of the day and, and one of his worst passes as a Redskin this year which was intended for Bibbs, but intercepted by that guy Scarlett at the 30, and I wrote down, really bad. It just was. Bad decision, bad throw, no defense. And at this point, it's pretty clear to me that, although as I explained, I thought Alex was making some plays, this was not going to turn out to be his day of being a hero, or at least not shaping up like that. And boy, did it get even worse from there. Luckily, Preston Smith had a nice sack, and Houston's kicker missed his field goal attempt, so the Redskins went into halftime down 10. Little did we know how much the third quarter was going to drastically change the entire landscape. 
Sure, watching football is fun, but many would argue that it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the sort that likes to bet a little but win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. College basketball, college football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports, you name it. MyBookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend MyBookie because they have been in business for years, they've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. Also make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's one word, BLUEWIRE, get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. So the Texans got the ball again to start the third quarter, and then that drive quickly ended with that weird quote-unquote fumble by DeAndre Hopkins, where he like fell to the ground on his back, and I don't think anyone would really say he clearly had possession of the ball enough to even possibly fumble. Maybe it hit the ground, maybe it was more like an interception, I don't know, replays clearly were inconclusive. I thought that ball probably hit the ground, but agreed that you certainly couldn't tell by replay for sure, so the Redskins benefited from the call on the field, which was fumble. And then it was on that possession, of course, that disaster struck. After Alex had a nice first down run, there was the sack play resulting in his gruesomely broken leg, fracture of tibia and fibula. Plenty more discussion of that to come later, of course. The Redskins punted. Things were looking dire until Preston Smith, a forgotten man for much of the year, doing some yeoman's work for the most part and getting a fair amount of pressure in many games, but few sacks or big plays made an extremely athletic play, turning a batted pass into a pick. Colt McCoy comes in, first makes a nifty little zone read run for four or five yards, and then, of course, throws a nice pass to an open Jordan Reed for a touchdown, closing the gap to 17-14, and pretty much immediately demonstrating a better feel for how to throw a ball to Jordan Reed than Alex Smith had done in nine and a half regular season games. After that, the third quarter ended basically with the Texans kicking a field goal to extend their lead to six on a drive that was unfortunately extended by a Preston Smith roughing penalty on what would have been a third down stop, but then another big sack by Ryan Kerrigan to uh, force the field goal. In the fourth quarter, Colt picked up right where he had left off. He had a nice run of his own for a conversion on fourth and one. It was like a naked or almost naked boot out to the left. That was a sweet play. Not necessarily something that Alex couldn't have done, but a good reminder that Colt is mobile and athletic in his own right. Josh Doxon made a sweet sideline grab. Colt had another nice scramble, and then that drive ended in the Adrian Peterson touchdown run, his second of the day, and the Redskins' first ever lead change this season as they went up 21-20. So in his first two drives, in his first two opportunities, Colt's offense put up touchdowns. I wanted to find the time to try and research and go back and figure out when exactly that last happened under Alex Smith's direction. I think it's been, I don't know, man, a couple months maybe? Has it been like since Green Bay? I might be wrong about that, but you get my point. It was impressive that McCoy stepped in cold and led touchdown drives in his first two chances. I don't think I was alone in thinking at this time that perhaps the Redskins offense is better off. And I'm sorry if it's like 
tactless or uncouth or something to suggest in the wake of such a bad injury to a really nice guy in Alex Smith that it might be potentially actually beneficial to the Redskins immediately and beyond. I'm not trying to assert that I'm even 100% positive of that, but I mean, come on. You heard me say here going back two, three weeks ago that we had seen enough for Jay to at least be justified in thinking about making that move move naturally himself. I mean, it didn't happen for a lot of practical reasons, including the fact that, hey, the Redskins, for the most part, are winning. Alex is healthy. He's starting to string, you know, a couple, three plays, good plays here together, here and there. Seem to be slowly evolving, progressing in Jay's offense. And then, of course, the optics and the money. So for several clear reasons... Jay didn't make the switch, but we've all been murmuring to each other or wondering privately whether this offense might actually have a little more juice if Colt was running it. And again, it's not immediately clear. It's certainly not obvious that, yes, that's going to be the case. It's, uh, you know, clearly a lot easier to come in for a quick little jump start and have immediate temporary success than to sustain it over the course of the second half of the season when the weather gets bad and teams are more able to game plan specifically for him and his weaknesses. But I'm just trying to lay it out on the table here. The offense looked more functional after McCoy came in. I don't think we should be afraid to acknowledge it. After that, the Texans had an eight-play, 30-some-yard drive, ending in a pretty long field goal. So there was quickly another lead change as the Redskins fell behind 23-21. Of course, that's the score by which they would ultimately lose. But not before a few other wacky things happened. Uh, Colt McCoy got sacked twice on his next effort to erase the deficit. Texans got the ball back. Redskins failed to stop them. And there was the mysterious holding penalty on Josh Norman, which pretty clearly by tape was just a phantom call, reminiscent of the ridiculous holding penalty on Morgan Moses from last week. That put the Texans in good position to basically ice the game, but... That guy missed another field goal. So the Skins had one last chance. And he started in pretty good field position. They were at their own 35. Uh, McCoy scrambled for nine yards. Ran up and spiked the ball. And then, let's see, I'm scanning through ESPN GameCast here. He threw a short pass to Trey Quinn that netted 11 yards. Ran up and spiked the ball. Then on second down, he went incomplete to Floyd. And then on third down is the play that I'm still scratching my head about. It's third and 10 at the Houston 45, from which a field goal will be 62-63 yards. There are 16 seconds left, and the Redskins have no remaining timeouts. In my opinion, and it seems pretty clear, I think, that they really only need 5 to 10 yards at this point to get into realistic field goal range for Dustin Hopkins. I mean, more would be better, of course. But 10 puts you in the short 50s, and this is a pretty realistic chance for him to make make a kick and win the game. Now I realize, 16 seconds left, no timeouts. To pull that off, you either got to have a nice sideline out, sort of like quick out pass drawn up and complete it, get out of bounds, stop the clock, or obviously you got to hope and pray that you can pull that sort of gain off somewhere in the middle of the field and that there's enough time to run up and spike the ball. Well, actually, it needs to be a 10-plus yard gain in order for you to be able to spike the ball because you'd need a new set of downs. If you gain only, say, 8 yards, then you probably don't, I will concede, you probably don't have enough time to get your field goal unit out there to kick it. So really, you've got two realistic chances here. You need to call a short pass just to get inside field goal range barely to the sideline so that you can stop it. Or you need to dial up your best 12-yard route, make it happen quickly, and then hope that you can get Colt McCoy up there to, to... kill it with only one or two seconds left. Neither one is a great scenario, but you know what? You're, you're not happy that you're in this situation in the first place. I don't think either one is a super high likely uh, success, but I think that both of those two plans are significantly better than what the Redskins actually did, and I'm not 
sure, to be clear, whether to pin this primarily on Jay or on Colt. But what they did, you'll probably recall, is throw a long pass sort of down the left sideline, but not really even along the sideline, and short of the goal line, which fell harmlessly incomplete. Now, there was a lot of complaining on Twitter about how this probably should have been pass interference, and I would say that, yes, looking at it, I mean, I guess it probably should have been. But no, I'm not outraged that this was the worst, most egregious blown call in the history of the sport. Um, Doxon was double-covered. The one guy was actively moving away from the player in the ball as it came to land. This is sort of the guy behind Doxon. And then the other guy who was... You know, definitely kind of like all up on Doxon was, in my opinion, very clearly trying to go for the ball, which, as you know, he is allowed to do. So I'm sorry, I'm not really just up in arms that this wasn't called a PI. I think it was borderline 50 50, didn't go the Redskins' way. And to be honest, I kind of like it when refs let you play towards the end. All right, so I'm sorry. If that's your main thing, is that it should have been a PI or that Colt was making the right call because he knew somehow or was hoping that it was going to be a PI. I'm not with you that, that throwing that ball up, the 5 or 10 yard line was the right move because it could have been a PI or that they should have called it. I think it was borderline and that the right play there was not to hope for a penalty. Meanwhile, if Doxon had caught that pass, miraculously, between the two guys, he would have gone to the ground, he would not have gotten out of bounds or scored, and the clock would have run out. It just didn't really make much sense to me. I mean, there was not a great option there, but the option that they went with seemed like it wasn't one of the two or three best. I'm not going to rant on and on about it anymore because, I mean, come on, it's one play. This this game was decided by much, much more than one play. But, man, yeah, it really, really felt like the Skins had a chance there to steal that thing at the end. I think I'd have felt pretty darn good about Dustin Hopkins' chances of making a 55 or a 51-yarder there. And can you even imagine? Can you imagine if that had happened? If, if, if he had made that for the Redskins to go to 7-3 with McCoy coming in and the whole complexion of the offense having changed? Can you even imagine the the momentum and, and the enthusiasm that we would be vibing for this offense right now? Anyway, of course, it ended up being a 63-yard attempt and Hopkins came up way short. So that's the anatomy of a loss. So let's talk about Alex. Man, he made it nine and a half games as a Redskin in his first year here after being acquired by trade and signing an enormous extension. In his nine full games, the Redskins were 6-3, and three, which... Is pretty good, and I definitely would have taken if you had offered it to me in August. But, of course, he just wasn't really that good, and there was this ongoing question about whether the Redskins were actually winning because of him or in spite of him, and I think at various times it was both. The team seemed to be having more overall success than they did when Kirk Cousins was here, but his numbers individually and his performances to the eye tests didn't really seem to quite stack up to what Kirk was generally producing. Of course, the context includes Adrian Peterson being a more effective running back than Kirk probably had at any point in his tenure, and the defense being better than, well, than that they had been probably at any point in Kirk's tenure as well, even if I do have some serious bones to pick with them. I'll say again that I I just did kind of have a feeling like he was starting to figure it out, and if he had stayed healthy and even if the Redskins had lost, I would not have felt entirely resigned to the idea that the offense was going to continue to suck through December and into January if the Redskins were able to squeak into the playoffs. Alas, that is officially moot. It's Colts' team now. And for reasons touched on previously, I don't think that there's going to be a huge drop-off, and I think, in fact, that this offense might start scoring a little more. Colt knows the offense very, very well. He's been here for years. Jay loves and trusts him. He's a little more of a risk-taker, which is probably both a good and bad thing. By the way, the Redskins won the turnover battle again today. 3-2, to but of course lost the game, so it's not always enough. Cole seemed already, in in these 12 passes that he threw, of which he completed 6, already more willing or able to open it up 
and go down or at least look downfield. That said, his average yards per attempt was only four and a half, which is not good. He did throw a touchdown, but he got sacked twice. He is going to throw more interceptions than Alex Smith would. He just is. The offense is going to be, I think, more interesting, more fun to watch. That's got to count for something. I mean, that's what we do here, right? As fans, we watch the games. Uh, I think it's reasonable to be glad that there is a likelihood that the offense will be more watchable, more interesting. But obviously, we want it to be better. We want to score more, turn it over less, possess the ball, and put the team in position for wins. Colt McCoy is clearly a bottom half of the league starting quarterback. In fact, he's a fringe starter, and that's why he's not been a starter. Let's not get carried away here. But as backups go, he was a good one to have. And specifically coming in right now, going into Dallas, we all know what he did the last time he was a starting quarterback for the Redskins in Dallas. He's the right guy for the job right now. I think the offense and the team is in good hands. He's respected by the players. He's trusted by the coach. He has command of the entire playbook. I think the Redskins are no less likely to make the playoffs with him at the helm than they were with Alex. And I'll say this, I think because the ceiling now is probably a little bit higher, even if The floor, too, is a little lower. I think that ceiling maybe makes the Redskins a little bit more likely to win a playoff game if they can get one. So I guess for 2018, I'm saying my feeling is that this is pretty much a wash. But based on Alex's play this year, there's a chance it could represent an upgrade. And it's certainly not the short-term catastrophe that this kind of thing would be for most teams. What about beyond this year? Because even if it's not immediately pressing, it's certainly interesting. I think this is really hard to say. Obviously, a lot of it is going to depend on Alex's recovery, right? He had what I'm presuming to be a closed fracture of his tibia and fibula. I am not an orthopedist, but I know a really good one. So, of course, I inquired. His thought is that if this injury involves, if this, if these fractures involve only the shafts of the bones and that it is not intraarticular, in other words, inclusive of the ankle joint. And furthermore, if there are no complicating or uniquely threatening factors like major damage to a nerve or artery that this injury can be fixed pretty much completely, and that with aggressive rehab, which he would surely do, Alex could probably actually be up and running again in six months, and that there's a high likelihood he would be ready actually to start the season, 2019 season, good as new. I'll be honest in saying that that did surprise me a little bit. I feel like that might be a touch ambitious, but hey, obviously medicine is much, much, much better now than it was in Joe Theismann's day um, and on this day 33 years ago when it happened to him. In fact, you might remember Kevin Ware, the college basketball player, I think, for Louisville a few years ago, uh, suffered a very similar injury, and he was up and playing again effectively and productively the next season. Now, Alex's contract is, as far as I can tell, and I happen to have access to every word of his contract, and I did just read through the relevant pages, indeed fully guaranteed for both skill and injury through the 2019 season and for injury through the 2020 season. That is a lot of money the Redskins still owe to Alex Smith and are committed to paying him, assuming that he is willing and able, or rather, I guess just willing, to take any and all necessary steps to get his body right and and attempt to get back. In other words, the only way the Redskins can get off the hook for these huge sums of money over the next couple of years is for him to retire. And I suppose it's wildly premature to speculate as to his mindset right now, but I certainly wouldn't bank on that. Uh, I wouldn't expect it. I think he's a fierce competitor. Uh, I think he's, in his mind, years away from retirement. And I think he'd be walking away from a hell of a lot of money for him to just up and decide voluntarily that he wanted to quit. Therefore, if his recovery is straightforward and goes as expected, you have, I think, for multiple reasons, namely both skill and injury, probably almost an automatic built-in QB controversy brewing for 2019. And, I mean, I think that applies whether Colt McCoy comes back or not. Remember, he's got an opt-out 
that he will certainly exercise if he has any modicum of success over the remaining six games. So anyway, in sum, Alex will still be in the plans in 2019, but I certainly don't mean to imply that he will certainly, just 100% definitely, be handed the reins. In fact, the opposite. I think the Redskins need to plan for the possibility that he's not ready in that time frame. And so that might mean either just retaining or possibly even redoing McCoy's deal. It could also certainly mean drafting a quarterback high, and I don't think that would be irresponsible at this point. Because regardless of what you owe Alex Smith, you've now got a guy in his mid-30s coming off a very serious injury who frankly did not play as well in his first year here as you certainly expected. The contract could become a big, big problem for them in the next year or so, but no, I'm not ready to say for sure that that's going to be the case. There is a lot to shake out between now and next September. So certainly before I try to predict everything about that, I need to hear more details about Alex's injury, diagnosis, prognosis, and we got to see how Colt McCoy does here. Now the Redskins don't have a quarterback on their practice squad, so they need a new backup. And according to Rappaport and Schefter, they're going to be bringing in the likes of EJ Manuel, TJ Yates, Kellen Clemens, and Mark Sanchez. That's a pretty sorry-looking group. I hope none of those guys ever has to take a snap for the Redskins. Of those, I'd say my favorite would probably be Yates. He's done a couple of nice things in his career, mainly with the Rams. But I'd also say I think probably the most likely guy to get the job is Sanchez, who, when he was with the Jets, has a history of having worked with Kavanaugh, Callahan, and O'Connell. So considering that they need a guy to suit up and be the backup in four days, seems likely they're going to go with a guy who knows a little bit of this offense. Apparently the only quarterback out there who's currently a free agent who has been on the Redskins in the Jay Gruden area for any length of time is something called Nick Shimanek. And I think old Nick was only here for like a couple of weeks. So no help there. It's definitely a pretty big concern. I think uh, if McCoy gets hurt in Dallas, you're looking at pretty low chances of pulling out a W there. And if McCoy gets seriously hurt, yeah, that's pretty much going to be a wrap for 2018. The Redskins defense has taken a step back in recent weeks. In fact, the whole Alabama wall thing has pretty much crumbled. They've been giving up big, big chunks of yardage on the ground over these last three weeks to teams that were did not come in at, at being known for prowess in terms of rushing attack. It's not entirely clear to me if this is partly because maybe like Deron Payne is hitting some kind of rookie wall. Uh, I don't know if John Allen's shoulders are starting to degenerate. I don't know if maybe Stacy McGee has been getting a little too much playing time over these last couple of games. I think a big part of it is the inside linebackers. Obviously, Mason Foster and Zach Brown kind of underachieving a little bit in the run game overall. I mean, they gave up 23 points today. It's not horrendous. And, of course, seven of those were attributable to uh, the Texans' defense scoring, actually. So they managed, again, to keep the opponent to a fairly respectable number, largely thanks again to takeaways. And if they can keep this up... I suppose it can continue to be enough. But that's our one thing, and I think appearances are another. And I'm certainly just not feeling at all like the Redskins' defense is above average right now. That's not to say that there hasn't been a significant improvement over last year's unit. I think there has. And that's why we're talking about playoffs right now. It is indeed the main reason. That and Adrian Peterson, the, the, the main reasons that we're even having discussions about possibly winning the division right now. Recently, they're doing a good job in the red zone. They're, they're, they've got this don't break part down. But what I'm seeing does not give me strong confidence that it is sustainable. 
And I just think it's overly flattering to talk about this Redskins defense as a particularly good one or dominating one in any way. I think it's an opportunistic one, which is a very, very good thing to be. But I think it's an average one. And you know what? Compared to last year, average is beautiful. Trust me, I'm happy that they're average. But we really shouldn't be pretending anymore like any offensive coordinator is losing sleep or any extra sleep because of his matchup with the Redskins right now. Teams are moving the ball on them very easily, far too easily right now, and they have not solved their third down defense woes from recent years past. You're going to be reminded a fair bit this week that there was a period between RG3 and Kirk where Colt McCoy sure seemed to be like Jay Gruden's favorite son. For a brief time prior to injury, Colt was handed a, a, a straight path and a great opportunity to lock down the starting job. So I think it's it's like almost kind of poetic here that in this fifth year of Jay Gruden's Redskins tenure, in, in this year that we thought would be decisive and conclusive, he's going to come down the stretch here with his QB1 being a slightly undersized, underappreciated, well-traveled, highly experienced, tough, tenacious, gritty, kind of old, super hardworking, and sometimes gunslinging veteran, which is a slew of adjectives that I feel like probably applied to Jay Gruden, the quarterback, during his playing career for the better part of it. Yeah, I think Jay really sees a lot of himself in Colt McCoy. And I truly believe that he really likes him and believes in him. And I don't think that was the case for Jay and Robert. And I'm not positive that ever really reached an advanced stage in the relationship of Jay and Kirk. And now who knows if we'll ever even know if Jay ever reached that confidence level in Alex. I think for this big part of the season, an incredibly important part in in Jay Gruden's coaching career, it's just fitting and kind of awesome that Jay's pilot is Colt McCoy. And I think we're going to learn a lot about both of them between now and the end of the year. And I actually kind of believe that they will give each other about as good of a chance of success as either one could have hoped from another counterpart. That'll do it for me for tonight. We got Dallas on Thanksgiving in just a few days. Can't wait to watch. I think it's going to be kind of a weird day for me in terms of football because I'm supposed to be getting over to my wife's grandmother's house at like 4 o'clock, and it's not exactly a primo game-watching setup over there. I will probably be cobbling this game together by phone, iPad, and possibly a mad dash to a different relative's at halftime. I will certainly consume this important game, but my plans for the subsequent podcast are to be determined based on access to internet and other resources. No matter what, you will hear something from the blogcast whenever possible. Big, big thanks to the dozen or more of you who left uh, iTunes reviews, overwhelmingly positive ones, in fact, for Burgundy Blogcast last week. I am proud, I think, of the current five-star rating for Burgundy Blogcast. If you're a regular regular listener, I would consider it a big favor if you'd leave me one of those reviews. Those always help me convince my wife a little bit more that this is not an entirely pointless endeavor. And also consider following at Burgundy Blog on Twitter for more of whatever this is. And do check out my partner pods on BlueWirePods.com. <laughs>